Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Knowledge is important before judgment, before behavior. If you don't know about how emotions affect your thinking, then you're just going to go with the flow. And it's why we make a lot of mistakes in life. And so very simply, just take a deep breath and say, you know something like, just like, you know, yesterday was a rainy day and I felt like crap. Today's one of those days where I feel like I got everything going right for me. I don't want to make a bad decision yesterday because it was a rainy day. I don't want to make a a rash decision today because it's a sunny day. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Mark, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. It's my pleasure to be here. Excited. It is my pleasure to have you here. So you have a new book out called Permission to Feel, which uh, I read in detail. And as I was just joking, drew the conclusion that I am emotionally illiterate after reading the book. But, you know, you say the majority of us are. So not to be tongue in cheek, but how are you feeling? Um, To be honest with you, I am not home this week. I'm actually um, on a mini vacation that came unexpected. It is an unbelievably gorgeous place. And I'm... I'm probably um, one of the best places I've been in like two years. (laughs) Mm, Amazing. Well, I normally wouldn't start with that question, but given the nature of your background, um, I wanted to start with a question that I always like to ask people who I consider social scientists, and that is what social group were you a part of in high school and what impact did that end up having on the choices that you've made throughout your life and your career? Oh, you want to, you're going to bring me, you're going to make me go back there. (laughs) You wrote about it in the Uh, book, so there's no way I wasn't going to ask about it. Yeah, I forgot about it already. Um, So when you say what, you know, I was, I don't know, I I don't think I was part of any group. Honestly, I was trying to be an athlete, but wasn't, although I was in the martial arts, which is kind of a sport. I was, you know, I I was beginning to be academically oriented, but not really. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to be cool, but I don't think I was. So I think I'm a misfit, honestly. Yeah. Well, I can relate. I mean, so it seems like that had a profound influence on where you've end, ended up and what you're doing just based on having read the book. Um, you know, you mentioned that you were bullied quite a bit. You, you know, alluded to the fact that you were trying to be cool, but never were. Uh, 
And then I very distinctly remember the part about your grades. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, now you're at one of the most elite educational institutions in the world. So what in the world happened between, you know, this childhood that seems pretty rough to where you're at now? So it's an interesting thing, you know, that you ask because, you know, so many people come up to me and they, they hear about my childhood experiences of, you know, abuse and trauma. And then they see me as a professor at Yale and they say, but you made it. And I say, you know, like, firstly, what does that even mean? You made it. But I think on top of that, um, like, you don't know all the different pieces that came together for me. And so I think for me, I see myself as being extraordinarily fortunate to have, A, parents who weren't emotionally intelligent, but knew um, to get me, like, psychological help as a kid. Big deal. Two, Mm -hmm. Um, as I write about in my book, and I dedicate my career to my Uncle Marvin, who was a hero in my life. Um, third is um, I got involved in the martial arts and became a black belt. Fourth is I um, got to go to psychology training. And uh, fifth, I spent 25 years running around the world trying to get people to talk about their feelings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, well- so I love that you brought up that you had parents who, you know, were at least aware enough that you needed, you know, to get psychological help. And, you know, I, I want to come back to the idea of culture a bit later because I know you alluded to it in the book. But I mean, I grew up in an Indian family. You know, mm-hmm. psychological help is not something that we ever talked about. It was pretty much, you know, very stigmatized. I mean, my parents would have never said go to a therapist until, you know, I was 36 and living at home and, you know, I'd had a bad breakup and, yeah, I finally started seeing a therapist. And I think uh-huh. that they, the stigma is starting to be less and less with each generation, but particularly my parents' generation, um, we definitely didn't talk about these kinds of things. Why, why do you think it is that your parents were at least aware enough that something was wrong that you needed to get psychological help? And why do you think so many parents aren't? Well, I mean, my experience, you know, as you know from reading my book, is, you know, I had sexual abuse. And so it was traumatic. Um, and when I disclosed it at 11 years old, um, it became a public thing because the person got arrested. You know, it impacted my, you know, how we were like living on our block, you know, in the neighborhood I grew up in New Jersey. And so it was, it was like, there was a lot of stuff to deal with. And I think my parents honestly just didn't know, you know, they knew they didn't know, they knew what they didn't know. And it was pretty clear that, you know, we needed professional help. And then my uncle, you know, who came on, you know, who came into my life around the same time was very, very psychologically minded. And I think he had a tremendous uh, influence over their decision. Yeah. I know that you allude to him throughout the book and, you know, you dedicate the book to him. You know, outside of the fact that he was willing to ask you as a child, how do you feel? Which I, mm-hmm. I realized, you know, I don't think my parents have ever asked me that, you know, my entire life. I don't think mm-hmm. I've ever had a conversation with my dad. And, you know, unless he can see that I'm like in really bad shape where he asked me how I feel. Tell me about this relationship with your uncle. Like, what is it beyond him just prompting that question that made it so special? Like, what led to that bond? Well, a number of things. You know, it was not just that he asked me the question, how are you feeling? But also when I shared what I was feeling, he didn't say, you know, get some grit, kid, or toughen up, or, you know, good luck. He was very clear that we were in this together and that he was going to be that that support system, you know, mm-hmm. for me. I mean, the other thing that's kind of 
just fascinating to me if I really think back about my childhood with him is that he was working on this curriculum to teach kids about feelings through social studies or history. And he was, he would use me as a, as the guinea pig. And so we would have conversations around Julius Caesar, you know, and what it felt like, you know, when your best friend betrayed you, um, we'd have conversations, you know, around all kinds of topics. And then he'd always sneak in the feeling and he'd say things like, so how do you think they felt? And, when have you felt that? Felt that? When have you felt that way? And so I just think he was really clever about getting me to talk about my feelings and you know build my emotional literacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I know you we go into it later in the book, and we'll we'll talk about it in a bit more detail. But when I talk to people like you, one thing that I wonder is why this is not prevalent in our education system early on. Uh, even mm-hmm. I, I got through college and I remember thinking of us, we had free therapy in college. And you know how many times I went to see that therapist once. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you're right. The, um, firstly, you know, I like to use the martial arts as, you know, to make the parallel, you know, when I got involved in the martial arts at 13, you know, I wanted to get that yellow belt, like no tomorrow, you know, the five punches, the five kicks, the five blocks, you know, but there was very, there was a precise technique. Um, then blue belt, you know, you got to do five more punches and five more kicks and then red belt and etc. And I've always wondered, you know, why don't we have that for emotional intelligence? Like what is a yellow belt and emotional intelligence? What is a blue belt? What is a red belt? And I just, yeah, this is what I'm motivated to do in my career is to ensure that every kid gets the emotion education they deserve. Because when you look at the outcomes, um, it's very clear that people with these skills are healthier, happier, more effective in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. You say that, uh, you know, in the book, you open it by saying my message for everyone is the same, that if we can learn to identify, express, and harness our feelings, even the most challenging ones, we can use those emotions to help us create positive, satisfying lives. But then you also say, you know, allude to the fact that, Yet it is also the thing we steer around most carefully. Our inner lives are uncharted territory, even to us, a risky place to explore. And I remember there's probably a book that you've seen. I I haven't read it, but I just couldn't help but think about wanting to pick it up to see what the contrast was. There's a book called Fuck Feelings. Um, And I just thought to myself, wow, yeah, like we kind of are in this conundrum where on the one hand, you're saying this is healthy for us and we pretty much do everything we can to suppress whatever we're feeling, particularly negative emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, so what, how do we get to this place, first of all? Well, I think, A, it's not cool to be vulnerable. <laughs> B, um, it's not cool to be vulnerable. C, it's not cool to be vulnerable. And so, you know, for a guy to say, you know, that he's anxious, you know, well, that means he can't put up for his family, right? It means that... um you know, there's no strategies to support everyone. Um, it means the the family's not safe. And so I think first that's not true. You can be um I've had anxiety my entire life. Um but I've been totally functional and have been able to build good relationships and have friendships and succeed at work. It's that our mindset around emotions is that those negative ones like anxiety and fear and overwhelm are bad, weak emotions. Um, and I think we need, that's, that's my kind of job in life is to get people to shift that mindset. Their experiences, everybody has them, whether you're a self-proclaimed tough guy, you know, or not. And we're all going to have people who die in our lives. We're all going to, you know, not get what we want. We're all going to have frustration, overwhelm, disappointment, anger. And let's, learn how to use these emotions wisely so that they don't interfere with our success as opposed to say F you to them. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, totally. Well, you know, the sort of conclusion in the first chapter, you say perpetual happiness can't be our goal. It's just not how real life works. We need the ability to experience and express all emotions to down or upregulate both pleasant and unpleasant emotions in order to achieve greater well-being, make the most informed decisions, build and maintain meaningful relationships and realize our potential. We all want our lives and the lives of people we love to be free of hardship and troubling events. We can never make that happen. We all want our lives to be filled with healthy relationships, compassion, and a sense of purpose that we can make happen. And it kind of you know, got me thinking about the sort of personal development and human potential movement in general, which is kind of notorious for, you know, sort of delusional optimism and rose-colored glasses where if you actually say something negative, it's almost like you just get, you know, frowned upon in these environments. Um, so I wonder, like, as a psychologist who studies this, what do you make of that? Like, are we leading people down, you know, misguided paths? Um, we are. I mean, this idea of perpetual happiness um, is crazy. You know, um, you can't be happy all the time. And I don't know about you, but when I'm around people that are like, at least acting like they're happy all the time, it drives me crazy. I think they're full of um, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and some of them, you know, there are people who are just like... Uh, Whatever they got in life, they just experience more pleasant emotions, which, by the mm-hmm. way, has nothing to do with emotional intelligence. You know, what you feel is not, you know, your skill. It's just your feelings. Um, I think that, you know, if you're a one, like, it's the same thing if you're around someone who's depressed all the time or who's anxious all the time. You know, you don't want to live in one emotion category your whole life because either it'll make your life very difficult Mm-hmm. or um, it'll make the lives of the people that you work with and live with very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, my, you know, again, I think life is an emotional roller coaster ride and our, and our job is to um, appreciate that yeah. and, and use it wisely. Certain emotions are going to help you make better choices in certain situations. Other emotions are going to help you, you know, inspire your team. Other emotions are going to help you make informed decisions. Other emotions are going to help you fight for the injustices that we see in our society. Yeah. Well, I think that the reason, you know, I, I wanted to, I liked that because I remember when we got an iTunes review that said, you know, the greatest thing about the show is there's no feel good fluff. And to me, that was the supreme compliment <laughs> because I, you know, I talk to people like you, but I don't ever just take anything anybody says at face value, no matter how inspiring it is. I'm like, okay, prove it to me. I want to see the research that backs this up. But um one of the things that, that struck me that you said was that pessimism can make it easier for us to anticipate things that could go wrong and then take proper actions to prevent them. Guilt acts as a moral compass. Anxiety keeps us trying to improve things that a more generous mood might be willing to accept. Even anger is a great motivator. Unlike resignation, it drives us to act and perhaps fix what made us angry in the first place. If we're mm-hmm. furious watching someone being mistreated, we're likely to step up and seek redress. Uh, you know, I think the, the reason that struck me is I, I have a, a an old roommate. He just moved out recently and he's one of my best friends. And, you know, the joke is basically, you know, we're like the yin and yang balancing each other's optimism and pessimism because I always, you know, joke with him. I was like, you don't see the downside of anything, which is what gets you into trouble. On the flip Mm -hmm. side, he gets me to see the upside of everything. And, you know, to me, I'm of the belief that if I anticipate what is going to go wrong, 
I might be able to prevent it. I don't think I always can, (laughs) but at least it gives me the thought process. And um, I mean, even Richard Branson, you know, who's basically walking around like he's high on ecstasy all the time, talks about this whole idea of protecting your downside even in business. Uh, How do you make a case for the fact that pessimism can be a good thing? Because I think that particularly a lot of people listen to this podcast don't listen to it because, you know, they want to feel pessimistic, but you basically say that this can be very valuable. Yes. Well, again, what I say is all emotions are valuable, all of them, not just the positive ones. Yeah. And so the, you know, it's funny because I was talking uh, with someone just yesterday about, you know, the obsession with being in the present moment. You know, everybody's about, you know, got to be present. You got to be calm and content and tranquil. Um, that can be boring after a while, right? <laughs> and it's like, you know, I don't know how many high school kids, they're like, just be calm all the time. Right? It's like, no, you know, um, give me some excitement. I want some inspiration. I want some fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if you're doing construction on your house, um, you might want to be shrewd, you know, about, you know, be a little pessimistic and make sure that, you know, like, are these the right contractors? Is this the right budget? Is this going to be done in the right time frame? What are mm-hmm. the, you know, what's the, uh, you know, what's the contract look like? And so, you know, I just see utility for all emotions based on the goal. And mm-hmm. so I think it's all about goal. It's all about goal setting. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so let's talk specifically about decision-making and then we'll get into the framework. But I, th- this really struck me because you said, we believe that our ability to reason and think rationally is our highest mental power above our unruly emotional side. This is but a trick our brains play, a, play on us. In fact, our emotions exert a huge, though mostly unconscious influence over how our minds function. The fact is especially evident when it comes to the decision-making process. And you actually say that almost all of our actions are determined by by our emotions, which is – Kind of funny because I think that, you know, as a business owner, one of the things that I keep trying to convince myself is that, okay, how do I maintain objectivity when I see things? But, uh, you know, it's it's interesting. Like, how, how do you balance the ability to be objective with the fact that everything you do is emotional regardless? So it's there's nuance in that. And the nuance is that it's not the feeling that is driving the judgment it's the feeling that is outside of your awareness that can be influencing the judgment. So I think the point is that you can be feeling anything you want, you know, when you're doing stuff and still be doing it well, mm-hmm. but you want to be aware of how you're feeling. So give me the best example, you know, is let's say um, you're at home, um, you get in a fight with your partner, you know, you're like irritable, I can't take it anymore. And you're driving to work. And then you get to work and you're, you know, someone gives you something to look at and you've got to evaluate it. Um, But you're still kind of subconsciously irritable about what happened at home. That irritability will oftentimes kind of like leak into the judgment and decision making. Mm -hmm. So that's the unconscious influence of emotions on your judgment. Now, you can still be irritable with your partner, but if you get to work and you check in on a tool like we have called the mood meter and you say something like, you know what? Gosh, I'm really in a funk right now. Why? Oh, I got in a fight with my partner. Oh, because X, Y, Z. Once I attribute my emotion to its actual cause, it will have a less, it'll have a, it'll less likely influence that future judgment. 
So I think that's that's super cool and interesting from my perspective. Mm-hmm. It's you know it, it reminds me. I, I got an email yesterday from one of our readers who had trouble registering for a webinar, and you know the first mistake was on me because the link was broken, and so I sent out a corrected link, and twenty or thirty people. Uh, you know, showed up with no problem. And I got this very angry email from the guy saying, he's like, you expect me to buy something from me? He's like, this is a complete disaster. And I'm thinking to myself, you're this pissed off about a free webinar that 20 other people couldn't <laughs> attend. And, and I, I had to realize like, okay, wait a minute, this probably has nothing to do with me. And I remember there's another time a woman sent me this really lengthy email to our contact form. Uh, I was on a reality show of some sort and one of my friends who's a journalist interviewed me uh, for my show. Usually I'm the one doing the interview. And she sent probably an email that probably took her a good hour to write. And at the end of it, she said, you didn't even listen to your guest. You talked about yourself the whole time. And I'm thinking to myself, lady, I was the one being interviewed. Uh huh. And I was like, okay, clearly this you know, struck a nerve that had nothing to do with the content of that conversation. Or maybe it did, but it had nothing to do with me. Yeah, I mean, people love projecting all their issues on everybody else. <laughs> so, you know, it's like the story of all of our lives, right? Yeah. Um, and that's, that's their lack of self-awareness. Mm. So you've talked about you know, how this impacts our, how, how negative emotions impact our decisions. One of the things that I'm always very skeptical of is when people make major life decisions after peak positive life experiences, like they come back from, you know, doing ayahuasca or they come back from a Tony Robbins seminar or self-improvement seminar, and they make these drastic changes like quitting their job or uh, getting divorced. Like I've seen this happen at, at the Landmark Forum. Somebody literally just goes home. It's like, hey, I'm divorcing uh-huh. you. Personally, I think that that is misguided. I'm just curious, based on your research, like, how that affects people's decisions too. Well, it's the idea of, you know, intense emotions are going to drive your thinking a certain way. Um, I think you're right. You know, that most of the time uh, it's like people who win the lottery end up most of them being poor again um, because they're super happy. They think they can, they're the they, you know, they got the world in a string and boom, now they're broke again. <laughs> And so the, um, yeah, I'm not sure what, like what your specific question is here, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess, you know, you mentioned intense emotions, I guess, you know, how do, how do people prevent this? This is probably the better question is how do people prevent their judgment from being skewed after a major peak experience that's actually leading to intense, positive emotions? The same way you do with any emotion is you take a nice long inhale and an exhale <laughs> <laughs> And, wait. You know, you're right. and you just say, you know something, I know, like, this is why knowledge, like, knowledge is important before judgment, before behavior. Like, if you don't know about how emotions affect your thinking, then you're just going to go with the flow. You know, it's why, um, you know, it's why we make a lot of mistakes in life. Um, and so very simply, just take a deep breath and say, you know something, like, this, this, just like, you know, yesterday was a rainy day and I felt like crap. Today's one of those days where I feel like I got everything going right for me. Um, I don't want to make a bad decision yesterday because it was a rainy day. I don't want to make a, a rash decision today because it's a sunny day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it just reminds me, I, we had a conference once and at the very end of it, I asked everybody that was in their hand. I said, how many of you feel this incredible emotional high right now? And all of them raised their hands. And I said, I should tell you that that's going to be gone by the time you go home tomorrow. Uh, and you need to be aware of that. 
because it, it is exactly what you're talking about is you know, they come out of these situations thinking, all right, I'm on top of the world. I'm going to go kill it. And then, of course, reality sets back in because they were in a container that was designed to create that emotion. Correct. I mean, emotions are ephemeral. That's the that's the nature of an emotion. You know, anything can shift how you feel. I mean, give you the, a very sad thing. A, a good friend of mine passed away on Monday from brain cancer. And, um, you know, when I got the email from, you know, her family, um, like I was in a perfectly pleasant state, you know, away on this nice trip working and boom, like just all of a sudden, right. The sadness came in, the grief came in. Um, you know, it's a couple of days later, you know, I'm still reflecting on this person and my relationship with her, but I'm not in the same funk as I was when I first heard about it. And I think that, that the, the, um, the principle of impermanence is something that everybody needs to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's get into this framework that you offer in the book. I really loved it. Um, I just thought to myself, wow, this is the most <laughs> logical way I've ever seen somebody explain emotions, ironically. Um, so you call it RULER, which basically is an acronym for recognizing, understanding, labeling, expressing, and regulating. Um, Correct. Can you get into all of those? And then I'll, I'll kind of you know uh, tease each one apart because there were definitely questions I had about certain ones. Sure. So recognizing emotions, right? Like right now, because we're recording this, I don't have, I don't know what your facial expression looks like. I don't know what your posture looks like. I'm kind of inferring how you're feeling about how this is going through, you know, how you're speaking in the tone of your voice. In everyday life, it's through eyes, you know, movements of the mouth and nose, people's behavior, my self-awareness about what's going on from my physiology, what's going on in my head. Am I thinking positive thoughts or negative thoughts? Do I feel energized? Do I feel depleted? That's all the first R. The U is understanding emotions. Like, why am I feeling this way? What's the difference between feeling anxious and overwhelmed and afraid and stressed? Do you know that 99% of the people I ask that to have no clue? They just can't tell the difference. They don't know the difference between those feelings. Then there's labeling emotions. If I'm anxious, am I really anxious, like panicky? Or am I just feeling uncomfortable? Am I happy or am I ecstatic or just content? That's the L in, in ruler. The E is expressing emotions. Kind of, you know, for example, can I be my true self with you on this you know, podcast? Um, do I feel safe, comfortable, really being my true self? Or do I am I being more cautious? Same thing with my relationships at work, at home. Can I be my true feeling self, you know, mm-hmm. expressing wise? And then the last R, which is something that I think people have really been desperate for, is the regulation. Yeah. What are the strategies to regulate? Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hmm. Well, let's talk specifically about recognition because it's funny that you know, we're talking about recognition and I never thought about this in the context of, oh, you know, I can talk to somebody and I might be aware enough to recognize their own their emotions. But until you just said that, I never thought, am I actually capable of recognizing my own emotions? Or do you think most of us are just sort of blind to it? Like, I think I kind of understand how I feel. <laughs> well, the thing is that, again, going back to that black belt idea, right? None of us even got a yellow belt in self-awareness. And so if you don't get taught the words and their meaning, um, it's hard to, to articulate. And so mm -hmm. I think most of us actually are not that clear about how we're feeling. 
Yeah. You know, we say we're stressed when we're feeling anxious. We say we're angry when we're disappointed. So got to learn the words. You got to learn their meetings and you got to repeat that over and over again. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk about understanding. Cause you say the core skill of understanding is the search for the underlying theme or possible cause that fuels the emotion. We're not asking questions and listening to answers just to provide a sympathetic ear. As we listen, we're looking for a meaning that goes deeper than the words being said. And you know, this just reminds me of, you know, growing up with my mom, my mom was pretty notorious for her emotional outbursts. I mean, every now and then you know, they still happen, but it was one of those things where we were taught not to challenge her at all and just to accept that this was the way it was. Um, and that's very much a cultural thing where we were not allowed to express certain emotions either. Uh, you know, it's like kids in particular in our, in our culture were taught that, you know, you just keep quiet and be obedient. You don't speak up. And so your question is, is that well, good or bad? <laughs> yeah, well, no, the, the question is like, you know, it, you know, the thought that I could actually sit there and, you know, ask my mom questions seems unlikely, you know, when we, she's in the middle of one of these outbursts. It's like, I'm not going to uh -huh. get any, you know, I'm not going to make any headway if I try to ask her questions. Correct. You don't want to, you never want to do it in the middle of the outburst anyway, because yeah. people's brains are not in the right place to do that. But, um, you know, you bring up this idea of mindsets around emotion. And my hunch is that, you know, you grew up in a family where there was a very fixed mindset, you know, like this is who I am. Nothing's, I'm never going to change. Yep. And, you, and this is how you're going to have to accept it. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up in a, my father was, my father had like serious anger problems and he'd say, son, this is how I deal with things. Get yeah. over it. I'm like, all right, dad. Well, I guess I'll be in therapy for 20 years. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like, get over it. I guess I'll become a psychologist and run around the world, getting people to talk about their feelings. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I don't want to dismiss culture mm. because I think you bring up an example. It's not for me, the, you know, the gringo Americano to judge Indian families' decision-making around emotions. But I can ask questions to you and your mom around, was it helpful? Was it unhelpful? Yeah. Um, could you have seen it? Can you have seen things done differently? And then maybe there's a little bit of, you know, reflection and, and conversation. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I, you know, as I was reading this book, I was going to you know, ask you about this story. I remember my mom was very insistent that the dishwasher be loaded a certain way. It just was one of those things where she nitpicked on it. And I remember we got into a fight because I was just irritated that day because she was asking me to do it so many times. And I'm pretty sure it had nothing to do with the dishwasher, at least from my side, my irritation did. So I go to therapy and the therapist says, you've been coming here for six months. We've been having this conversation. He said, listen, he's like, you can either go to battle with your mom or accept the fact that this isn't going to change. And I went home and I told my dad that he said, I could have told you that you didn't know to get, he's like, you didn't need to spend 50 bucks on therapy for that. He's like, I would have told you that. Um, but you know, on the flip side of that, my dad actually does not express emotion. I've realized he, I've never, I've seen my dad angry maybe five times in my entire life. Mm-hmm. And so first what I was am, thinking to myself, by the way, like maybe if you spent 150 bucks on therapy, you would have gotten better advice. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I'm just kidding. The, the contrast is so stark, right? Like he's like a Zen Buddhist and 
Uh-huh. Yeah, and she she's you know, honestly like I think that my creativity comes from her, and there are times where I wish I had more of his temperament. You know, I, I definitely know my creativity comes from her because she's a very creative person. Uh-huh. Uh, because she was an English major, I was like, okay, this is probably where I learned to you know intuitively write. But the contrast of the two of them, I wonder what impact do you think that that has on how somebody turns out as an adult when you have two parents who are so different like that when it comes to their emotional, uh, you know, they're just variability in emotion. Yeah, but I think it depends on, you know, how, what your relationship was like with each of them, you know, and who you felt more connected to, who you felt, you know, made you the feel the safest. Oh, the definitely my dad. I mean, even to this day where I think there's still, when I, you know, am in a situation that, you know, drives me a little, makes me anxious or scared, I don't go to my mom. Like, I'm honestly, I, I would say I'm scared of her to some degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're you're answering their question, right? And so I think... The um, and I was terrified I mean, of her growing up. Yeah, um, and so you know, part of the, you know, does she know that? You know, with <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I want to have that conversation with her, okay. but who knows? I will tell you. I'll tell you a story that kind of maybe answers some of this. So you know, if you're Indian, you know, one of the pressures is always going to be to get married, and we got in a really, really big fight. One that. Uh, you know, final, like I, I, to me, that was the final straw. I told her that I was like, I'm done. I, if she wants to have a relationship with me, she needs to apologize. And then maybe a year later, I was doing these interviews, with my family right after my sister's wedding. And who knows, maybe it was because I had a microphone on her and I was recording it. And I just I asked her, I was like, are you unhappy that I'm not married? And because that's definitely been a source of tension between us. And she said, it's not that I'm not, un- not unhappy. She said, I'm worried about what's going to happen to you when we're no longer around. And I realized that all of it was coming from a good place, just expressed in a way that, you know, really hurt me. I mean, this is, that's interesting, you know, for me to hear from you because it does, it brings up this like bottled up fear, right? Cause it's all fear, right? That's what I'm hearing. And your mother felt uncomfortable or didn't want to put, whatever pressure or whatever it was on you. And so she bottles it up. And I think this is, this is like at the heart of what I hope could change, you know, in relationships because you resent her. She's anxious and worried about telling you things and, and then your relationship diminishes. And so imagine what it'd be like if, you know, a, she could have that conversation with you and B, you could say, you know, mom, I appreciate the fact that you feel afraid about that. But like, I just want you to know, like I'm doing good. Um, and you know, how different, you know, families could be. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about labeling in particular. That really struck me. This is where I started to draw the conclusion that maybe I'm emotionally illiterate because I thought to myself, you know, you said without a proper vocabulary, we can't label our emotions. And if we can't label them, we can't properly consider them or put them into perspective. And you say that attaching the correct label to the emotion is critical because we've labeled a feeling. We've also begun to figure out what to do about it. If we assume incorrectly that our child is feeling anxious, we fail to address the actual emotion, perhaps embarrassment, maybe fear, both of which can look a lot like anxiety from the outside. Imprecise labeling can lead us astray as we search for ways to resolve negative emotions. And I don't think I'd ever heard the term emotional vocabulary until you read your book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, think about it. If we don't have a common language to talk about our inner lives, how do we communicate? How does a kid 
tell their parent what they're feeling? How does um, a parent help their kid identify their feelings? And so I think it's that simple. Mm-hmm. If we want to be able to communicate our needs, if we want to be able to express ourselves, we need a common vocabulary. And that's yeah. an emotion vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about expressing. Uh, mm-hmm. You say that expressing emotions is like a transaction between people. You and I react and back and forth. We may come to understand each other and be better off for it. But the opposite could also be true. Your expressed emotions might provoke something negative in me, something I'm not prepared to deal with or control. And I think the the reason I wanted to talk about expressing in particular is that this was the one that really struck me because I realized we were really taught not to express emotions in our family. Like I've seen my parents kiss each other once. Like my parents are not physically affectionate with each other. And I remember when I discovered love languages, I thought, wow, the two love languages that are mine, which are physical touch and words of affirmation are the two things that Indian parents in general, like not mine alone, um, they just happen to be the example we're using here. It's just not common in the culture. So I'm very curious, like generally across cultures, you've traveled around the world. Like, what have you seen as the difference in emotional expression across cultures, particularly, uh, you know, when it comes to things like affection and love, but also, in a, you know, anger? Because I can tell you there are things that I want to express where I'm just like, okay, if I don't keep quiet about this, the, con- the, the consequences are going to be far worse than just dealing with it. Well, I think that assumes that like expressing means overreacting, right? And being aggressive. And that doesn't the, have yeah, to be what is the way. difference between the two? I mean, you can communicate you're angry, you know, in a way that's very easily understood by just sharing the experience. So, you know, I just want to let you know, I didn't appreciate what you just said. It really was off-putting and um, I want to talk about it as opposed to who the blank do you think you are? You blank and blank, blank, um, which is easier. Right. It's, and you don't have to craft. It's easier to just blurt it out than it is to craft a message that, you know, will help people listen. Mm-hmm. And I think the goal when you're expressing is to be heard. And if you're yelling, screaming, throwing, not very helpful. Mm. In terms of culture, um, there are cultural rules around this. Eye contact, touch, um, and I think what's most important is not to go in as the judge, it's to go in as a learner. And so I've got tons of examples, you know, being in Korea with my martial art or in Croatia, giving a speech or in Italy, you know, I love going to Italy, right? The, the, the rule is like you get kissed three times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, let's go there. Yeah. Um, other cultures, they bow to you. Um, and like, who, I don't think it matters what's there's no, the question shouldn't be what's better, what's worse, what's right, what's wrong. Mm -hmm. The question should be, let me learn about this and, and use it. Yeah. Well, speaking of using it, this was a ridiculous question. I knew I wanted to ask you. One of the things you say is some of us are also unaware when we're actually expressing certain emotions, we think we're masking our true feeling or showing a poker face, but our micro expressions, micro expressions, which can include that subtle fake smile, quick eye roll or flirtatious gaze into someone's eyes reveal something very different might be going on underneath. And I thought to myself, you know what, Mark, can you tell me how to spot which girl in a bar or coffee shop or restaurant is going to be open to being approached based on the things you have in your book? <laughs> Um, I can tell you that if you go in looking for those micro expressions, you're going to look really freaking weird. So don't do it. <laughs> like a psychopath, stalker, yeah, exactly. murderer. Yeah. So I, I suggest, you know, don't obsess on it, but, um, you know, it's practice, you know, so much of this stuff is just paying attention to the cues. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're subtle, you know, that subtle contempt 
you know, is, um, it's interesting how much, uh, it reveals, but, um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't waste time. (laughs) Um, yeah. Well, I just, I think back to college, you know, with experiences I had with girls who looking back and and even some of them told me, it's like, clearly they were interested and I just completely overlooked it. I didn't even recognize the signs uh, because I didn't know anything about things like this. It's like, oh, that was clearly a sign that that girl would have absolutely said yes if I asked her out on a date. Yeah. um, I mean, this is part of the the reason why we want to move away from observing behavior and getting to know each other by asking and building intimacy. Right. Mm. So it's like all we have is assumption when we're looking at face and body and behavior, we have no actual information. Yes. They say a lot of our communication is nonverbal, but I'm here to tell you that most of that nonverbal behavior is discombobulated in the observer. And so I just think Go for what you want, ask for what you want, as opposed to, um, you know, living in this world of what might happen. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about regulation in particular. Uh, You say say emotional regulation is at the top of the ruler hierarchy. It's likely the most complex of the five skills and most challenging. It's nearly impossible to imagine what life would be like without the power to regulate our emotions. You've been doing it since you were born, and you've done it to some degree or other every minute of your waking life. And what I wonder is why some people are so good at this and some just go from one extreme to another. Because I can tell you that if I look at 20-year-old me versus 43-year-old me, my emotional regulation skills are definitely better now. They were extreme when I was younger. I feel like I would go from being elated to being just you know, beyond depressed in 24 mm-hmm. hours when I was young. And it was like, oh, a girl broke up with me and it was the end of the world. And so well, what that's, happened? That's, that's adolescence, just so yeah. you know. So that's, you know, that's you know, puberty and other kind of things going on in your life that, you know, lots of mood swings, which is normal. Mm. Um, What was your specific question though? Yeah, I guess, why do we get better at it with age? And then I know you go into these four specific strategies uh, on how to do it. And so how do we do it and how do we practice these strategies? Well, I think the first is that, you know, you're put into situations where you have to do it. You know, when you're younger, you know, you're controlled in many ways, you know, and so, like, in the real world, like, you're in a job interview. you got to, like, you can't say how you want to, you know, Mark, don't say it. Like, you're not going to get the job if you, like, tell the person how you really feel about them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you play sports, you know, you got to, the, the team is regulating, right, itself. Like, you got to work together to, to win. Um, you have just a much more opportunity, you know, as you develop doesn't mean always that you get better at it. Sometimes you get worse at it. You can develop better, better, listen to me. You can develop worse habits. Um, You know, if you yell and you get away with it and you keep on yelling, then you become a bully as you get older and you try to make your life, you know, you get through life by being a bully. And we've seen that happen in our country. Um, People have become extraordinarily successful uh, as Mm -hmm. bullies. Um, I think those people die very lonely. Um, but um, I want to separate. You can be successful, you know, by not regulating. Um, just don't think you get the complete success yeah. of wellness 
mm-hmm. you know, good relationships, mental, you know, better mental health. Yeah. Well, I don't want to talk, uh, I mean, you, you break this up into four categories. Mindfulness is one of those things I think we've pretty much beat like a dead horse. Uh, so I don't want to spend time on that, but yeah, you talk about breathing. Yeah. So you talk about forward looking strategies, attention shifting and cognitive reframing. Can you explain what each one of those is? Yeah. So forward looking strategies have to do with, you know, I got to think like, for example, I was actually in, in a call before this podcast and it was kind of going a little off. And then I hung up and I had about 10 minutes and I was like, all right, Mark, you're going to record this um, podcast. Like what mindset do you want to be in? And I'm like, well, I got to clear my head. I want to make a cup of coffee um, and just kind of like compartmentalize and put that into, you know, a bucket. And so that's forward looking. It's saying, this is how I want to feel. And this is how I'm going to get there. Um, it's the same thing. Like if you have a relative that you have to go visit and you know, they're going to drive you out of your mind, mm-hmm. you, you think ahead, like, how can I avoid sitting next to them at dinner? Um, that's a prevention way of thinking about regulation. Yeah. Um, that's me getting dressed up and making sure that I have my haircut when I see my mom. There you go. It's like, I don't want to, I just don't want to deal with her baloney about how I look. So I'm going to just go in this way. Yeah. And then the second one you said is the the cognitive strategies, if I'm correct, mm-hmm. right? Reframing, yeah. Yeah, so this positive self-talk and reframing. I think for me the most important thing there is that by some wave of a terrible magic wand, many of us grew up having quite a lot of negative self-talk about our appearance, about our skills, um, about everything. And nowhere in our development do we have people ask us to pause and say, wait a minute, like, why are you talking to yourself this way? You know, there's better ways to talk to yourself. Like maybe you can be more self-compassionate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so cognitive strategies range from negative self-talk to I hate myself. I'm an idiot to positive self-talk, which is like, Mark, you can get through this podcast. You can do it. <laughs> um, and then the reframing is, you know, we blame a lot of people like, I can't believe you said that. And, or like, you know, endless kinds of things where mm. reframing is saying, all right, Mark, there's got to be another way to look at it. You know, if I have an employee who's not doing such a great job on a task that I assign them, you know, I could just say, oh, I, I always hire, I never hire any good to be good. Or I can say to myself, well, wait a minute, Mark, this person is brand new. You've given them very kind of ambiguous kind of directions Maybe you can like find out what's really going on and help that person. Mm-hmm. So that's the re- that's the reframing or the reappraisal. Yeah, I mean, I remember you tell a great really story important. about one of your students uh, in the book who I think Zed was trying to get out of an exam or something like that. So I get the sense that the reframing is not about lying to yourself, which I feel like often happens where people try to delude themselves into believing things that aren't true. I mean, it can be that would be not helpful reframing. Yeah. You know, there's totally. a, um, this happens a lot in abusive relationships where the the one partner, you know, who is gaslighting the other partner says things like, oh, you're just so sensitive, you know, it, or oh, this, oh, this. And then the other partner starts believing it. Yeah. And so it creates a, a pretty nasty, self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, well... One area, and I know you got to get going here, so I want to uh, be mindful of, of our time, but 
I wanted to ask you about the role that Stoicism plays in all of this because there's a lot of uh, talk about Stoicism with people like Ryan Holiday writing an entire trilogy on Stoicism and multiple uh-huh. people talking about this, people like Tim Ferriss saying that this is kind of their operating system. So how do these two things coexist or can they? Because I don't get the sense that Stoicism is not about expressing your emotions. So like, can they coexist with what you're talking about with expressing your feelings? Well, I think anything to is, you know, just like, you know, people always ask me, but do you want, like I had somebody who worked with me who from the business world and he came up to me, he's like, does this mean I have to talk about my feelings all day long? And everybody who comes to my office, I have to ask them how they're feeling and we have to talk about this. I'm like, absolutely. Like, I don't want to do that. And this is like what I do for a living. Yeah. Like there's a time and a place for everything. So there's a time and a place for stoicism and there's a time and a place for, um, using emotions wisely. I think that we, we kind of like create all these like mental models that like, it's either this or that. Mm-hmm. And I think the better way to think about it is that we are creatures that are cognitive, social, and emotional. Um, and our emotions play a big part of what makes us human yeah. from how we connect to how we make informed decisions to how we deal with conflict you know, and creativity. And so, yeah, it's funny because I think I wrote down somewhere and you're making me change my mind about this is like emotions cloud our judgment. And I realize it's not that they cloud our judgment, they determine it. And being aware of those emotions is what allows us to have better judgment. Yes. It's not that the emotion clouds your judgment. Again, it's always, it's the un, um, it's the emotion that you're experiencing that you're not aware you're experiencing that clouds your judgment. Yeah. Well, does that make sense? Yeah, no, no, it totally does. Uh, it's so, like anger doesn't, people, you can be angry and make a good decision. Mm-hmm. You just have to know how to, you have to real, recognize that anger and, and manage it wisely. And then you're fine to make a decision. Yeah. Well, um, I, I want to be respectful of your time because I know you got to get going. Sure. A lot of parents listen to this and you know, we started mm-hmm. out talking uh, about school and education what do you want parents listening to this to know parents and educators in particular? I think, you know, it's interesting. I do literally hundreds of seminars for families as well as in the corporate sector. And parents come to these workshops thinking that like Mark's going to teach me tips on how to raise an emotionally intelligent child. Um, (laughs) I'm thinking to myself, yeah, no, it's like, I'm going to teach you to how to, you know, be an emotionally intelligent adult was the sense that I got from the book. Exactly. And so you took the words out of my mouth, which is, and they leave there thinking, oh, crap, I got a lot of work to do on building my own skills. And so my take home message for people is build your vocabulary, learn the strategies, be the role model. And that in and of itself is going to be a tremendous help for raising um, happy and successful kids. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I have two more questions for you and we'll wrap sure. things up for, you know, we talked about, you know, raising happy and successful kids. How do people make themselves happy and successful using this? Because I think if there's anything your book did for me, it, it just made me much more aware than anything else. It was like, oh, I have a, a level of emotional awareness now that I didn't before. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Um, but I don't know what's the question. Yeah, sorry. I, I guess what you know, what is your message ultimately to adults listening to this? You know, I said we basically, you know, said okay to parents, but for adults just navigating the world in general. 
I think it's give yourself the permission to feel. It's why, you know, it was a controversial title for my book because some people are like, oh gosh, it's like, you know, permission to feel, you know, what, you know, who, you don't, who's, you're now, you're, who, who's, who's, who's giving me permission to feel, you know? And I, I say, well, I don't know if you really think about it. Most of us don't feel like we can be our true, full feeling selves with everybody. And so don't be the judge of your feelings. Be the curious emotion scientist and allow yourself to experience all emotions. They're information. They're not um, idiosyncratic impulses that will make you go to the dark side. Amazing. Well, I have one last question for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews at the Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? What do I think it is that makes somebody unmistakable? I might need a little help with that. Um, Yeah, of course. Yeah. So I, when you write a book called unmistakable, as you know, having written a book, you have to define it. So I define it as uh, something that is so distinctive that nobody else could do it, but you. I think it's being your true fulfilling self. Yeah. That's it. Just be who you are and allow your true self and identity to flourish. Amazing. Well, uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your wisdom and your insights and stories with our listeners. Where can people find out more about you, your work, the book, and everything you're up to? Yeah, I think the simplest is just go directly to my personal website, which is just Mark, M-A-R-C, bracket, B-R-A-C-K-E-T-T dot com. And then from there, you can learn about our apps. You can learn about our work in the business world um, and, um, and the research as well. Amazing. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolves. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.